Amen. Open your Bibles with me to Leviticus chapter 6. Leviticus chapter 6. How many of you, Leviticus is your favorite book of the Bible? Leviticus chapter 6. The book of Leviticus is a very interesting book. How many of you, honestly, would you be honest with me? How many of you, when you're reading through, you got your, your yearly Bible reading plan, and you get to Leviticus, you honestly struggle a little bit with it. Would you raise your hand? Any of you that do? Yeah. Um, the rest of you don't read your Bible. Um, it, it can be a difficult book. Uh, I do hope that, that one of these days we can study the book of Leviticus together because I think that it would be very enlightening to all of us. Um, it's, it's just amazing. Did you all know that your Bible is just completely interwoven? The teaching from one section, it just, and we're going to see some of that this morning. And it just, as I, as I prepared for this, I started earlier in the week, um, and then I thought about it while we were in Indiana for Thanksgiving and on the way back. And it's just amazing to me how intricately detailed God's Word is and how there are no, there are no superfluous words. You know, there are no throwaway lines in the Bible. How many of you have ever read a book and then saw the movie and three-quarters of the book was left out, right? Can you imagine trying to make a movie of the Bible? You couldn't do it. You, you couldn't do it. And not even Charlton Heston could, could do it. Now, the book of Leviticus presents three ideas or three things to us. And what we have to remember is that the Old Testament, those things were given for our learning, they're there for us. And you remember the, the statement that all of us who have been in church for any length of time have heard is that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. We can understand things for, about Leviticus that the Levites could never understand. It's amazing. And we'll see some of that today. So when we read the book of Leviticus, we, the thing that really helps us to... Uh, that, that where we're helped by reading the book of Leviticus is we learn what Christ did for us. Because we have to remember all of the sacrifices all pointed to Jesus Christ. And every one of those sacrifices teaches us something that Jesus did for us on the cross. So this, the, the book of Leviticus reveals three t things. Uh, number one, number one, a sacrifice. Number two, a priesthood. Number three, a place. So it teaches about the sacrifices. It teaches the rules for the Levitical priesthood. And then it teaches about the tabernacle and the temple and how it would be done. So a sacrifice, a priesthood, and a place. What in the world does that have to do with Christians? Well, according to Romans chapter 12, I beseech you over therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. We are a sacrifice. We are... We give our lives as a sacrifice to our Savior. And then a priesthood. The Bible says in 2 Peter 2, verse 9, that we are a royal priesthood. So when we learn about the priesthood in Leviticus, we learn about who we are in Christ. And then the temple and the tabernacle, it's a place. And the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians six nineteen that we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. That's us. So when we learn about a sacrifice and a priesthood and a place in Leviticus, 
we're actually going to learn things about who we are in Christ Jesus. And it's just amazing. Today, we're going to be looking at the sacrifices. There are five sacrifices that are identified in the book of Leviticus, and they're given twice. Now, what is repetition in the Bible? It's God's volume control. When I do this, I can never help but... How many of you got to see Curtis Hudson preach in person? Any of you ever see Curtis Hudson? Just two people. He was the editor of The Sword of the Lord. He followed uh, John R. Rice there. And he had ears that were about this big. And when he'd preach, he'd do this, and this whole ear would come forward like this. So when I do that, I can't help but think about Curtis Hudson. Well, the sacrifices, there are five sacrifices. As we've said, they're given twice. And repetition is God's volume control. The interesting thing, though, is the first time they're given, they're given in a different order than the second time that they're given. Why is that? Because the first time they're given, the sacrifices are given from God's perspective to man. This is how God sees the sacrifices. The second time he gives the sacrifices and explains them, he gives us the law of the sacrifices that we're going to look at today. These are from man's perspective looking toward God. How do we view the sacrifices and how do they impact us? And that's what we're going to be studying today. The offerings being, pers- being given to us from God's perspective the first time and from man's perspective the second time. Today we're going to be looking at them from man's perspective. Now, on the last introductory comment and then we'll dive in. Um, we could spend years on the sacrifices, literally. There is so much information just the little bit that we go over today, there, I am going to have to leave out so much. So if you've done some study on the sacrifices and you say, Pastor, doesn't it mean this? Doesn't it mean this? Doesn't it mean this? Yes, and about a th- thousand other things that you and I haven't thought of yet. We haven't discovered in the Word yet. So this is just going to be an overview to bring us through the first four because my message is on the fifth. So we're going to do an overview of the first four of these sacrifices and then we're going to go into the fifth. The other thing that we have to understand, remember, all these sacrifices were made by Jesus Christ. Isn't that right? All of them were made by Christ. So everything that happens in these sacrifices, Christ has already done this for us. That's what we learned from God's perspective to man. As we study these now the second time, this is from man's perspective looking at God. And so as we study these, we learn what we are to give back to God in our sacrifice. Does that make sense? So now we're looking at these not from a salvation perspective. The way that we're looking at these this morning is assuming that you have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ for your eternal salvation. And I hope that you have. There's only one way to get to heaven, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You have to receive that free gift of eternal life, acknowledging Jesus Christ as your Lord. So from that perspective, now we're going to look at these sacrifices. Look at Leviticus chapter 6 and verse 8. Leviticus 6, verse 8. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the law of the burnt offering. It is the burnt offering because of the burning upon the altar 
Now look at what it says. All night until the morning, and the fire of the altar shall be burning in it. And the priest shall put on his linen garment, and his linen breeches shall he put on his flesh, and take up the ashes which the fire hath consumed with the burnt offering on the altar, and he shall put them beside the altar. And he shall put off his garments and put on other garments and carry forth the ashes without the camp unto a clean place. And the fire upon the altar shall be burning in it. It shall not be put out, and the priest shall burn on it every morning and lay the burnt offering in order upon it. And he shall burn thereon the fat of the peace offerings. The fire shall ever be burning upon the altar. It shall never go out. So what do we have here? This is the burnt offering. The burnt offering represents total consecration to God. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, He gave His all, didn't He? He gave His all. This burnt offering represents that. So the offering, the, 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 the lamb, was placed on the altar in its order. What does that mean? That means that it was separated joint by joint, taken apart and put on the altar. Everything was put on. You know, the Bible, uh, there's a verse that you all know that describes this. The Bible says, The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The, the, what that verse is talking about, you can't understand Hebrews without understanding Leviticus. What it, the, the book of Hebrews is that Jesus Christ is better. He's better than the Levitical priesthood. He's better than the sacrifices. He's better than the angels. He's better than the old life. He's better than everything. But when it's talking about the Word of God dividing us, that's what's happening here. And this burnt offering was divided on the altar, and it was consumed. It was burned to ashes until it was gone. It was consumed. Now, that's from God to us. That's what Jesus Christ did for us. From our perspective, now we are a living sacrifice. We are to be completely consumed with Jesus Christ. We are supposed to give our lives completely to Him. Amen? That's what we're supposed to do. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But how many of you have done that? You've gotten alone somewhere, it's been in a church service, it's been at a revival meeting, it's been at a camp, and you've surrendered everything to the Lord. And then the next week, you had to do it again. Or the next month, you had to do it again. Why is that? Why does that happen? You ready for this? Because you didn't keep the fire burning. Now, here's how they did it. Look at what the Bible says. Um, look at verse 12. And the fire upon the altar shall be burning in it. It shall not be put out. And the priest shall burn wood on it every morning. You've got to put new wood on it every morning. You've you got to go back to the Lord every morning and renew your relationship, not your salvation. Renew your relationship with Him every morning. Go back, put wood on that fire. What is that wood? I don't have time to demonstrate this to you, but all through the Bible, you have wood representing your, your body. So you're giving yourself. You mortify your flesh. You put your, your flesh to death every day, over and over and over again. And every morning, you start that day by saying, Lord, my body's yours. 
I'm giving it completely to you. And then look at what it says. And on every morning, or burn wood on it. This is the middle of verse 12. Every morning, and lay the burnt offering in order upon it. That's every part of you. Every part of you. And then shall the burnt offering, and, and he shall burn thereon the fat of the peace offerings. The fat of the peace offerings. Anybody here ever grill? Anybody? You like to grill? Oh, yeah. What happens when the fat hits the flame? Right? Do you know what this is? We're going to learn about the peace offering. That's what we're going to be preaching about today, the peace offering. But the way to keep this fire going, the way to make sure that it burned hot, was to take that fat from the other offering and put it on the flame and it poured it up. In the Bible, do you know what your fat, the fat is? That's, that's your innermost being. That's who you are. You're giving everything, everything you have to the Lord. That's what consecration is. That's how the fire keeps going. That's how you grow in your Christian life. That's how you love God's Word and you grow in it. That's how you keep from stumbling. That, that, that besetting sin that you struggle with all the time. The way that you defeat that is by keeping that fire burning all the time. I love the passage where Paul is talking to Timothy. And he says, stir up the gift that is in you which you received at the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. When, when, when he was ordained, when those men of God got around him and prayed and said, we're setting him apart for the ministry. I believe something special happens there. I, I, I really believe something special happens there. How many of you have noticed it's just different? You're, you're at a family reunion and there's a preacher there and they say, hey, preacher, pray for us. It's just different when the preacher prays. Have you noticed that? And, and, and you know, we don't believe in the priesthood and the laity. We don't believe in any of that stuff. But something special happens to a man of God when he's set apart for the ministry. I, I genuinely believe that. And that imagery is stir up the gift that is in you. You know what I think of when I think of that stirring up the gift? When you got your fire going and you stir up those coals and that you put the new wood on it and you stir up those coals and that fire just takes off. That's what we're supposed to do. Stir up that flame. Total consecration to the Lord. This burnt offering is one of the three sweet-smelling, the sweet-savor offerings. This offering smells sweet to God. Why? Because it's voluntary. Some of the offerings are obligatory. You have to do them. This is voluntary. Do you know what that means? Nobody can make you give yourself completely to God. This is your choice. That this total consecration, this total separation to the Lord and His work is your choice. It's voluntary. But when you do it, man, it smells good to God. He, 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 he just breathes that in. He loves that sacrifice. The, the two not sweet-selling sacrifices are the sin offering and the trespass offering. Why? Because sin was never part of God's plan. Sin doesn't, even when the sacrifice is made, that doesn't smell good to God. He's not pleased with any of that. Um, it's voluntary. Nobody will make you do it. The fire wasn't to go out. New wood every morning. Fat from the peace offering makes the fire blaze. And your innermost being is given in consecration. Let's look at the next offering. Now, how many of you think we skipped some stuff there? Okay, we did. Let's look at the next offering. Look with me at verse 13. Verse 13. Or verse 14. And this is the law of the meat offering, the meat offering. Now, when you see that meat offering, what do you think of? Meat, right? 
But here in this text, it's talking about the meat of the grain, the, the, the edible part of the grain. That's what's being offered here. This is the only bloodless sacrifice. All the other sacrifices required blood. So look at what it says, verse 14. And this is the law of the meat offering. The sons of Aaron shall offer it before the Lord, before the altar. Um, verse 15. And he shall take of it his handful of the flour of the meat, of the flour of the meat offering, and of the oil thereof, and all the frankincense which is upon the meat offering, and shall burn it upon the altar for a sweet savor, even the memorial of it unto the Lord. And the remainder thereof shall Aaron and his sons eat. With unleavened bread shall it be eaten in the holy place, and the congregation of the in the congregation of the or in the court of the tabernacle of the congregation they shall eat it. And it shall not be bacon with leaven. I have given it unto them for their portion of my offerings made by the made by the fire. It is most holy, as is the sin offering, and as the trespass offering. Now, what's interesting about this this meat offering? Remember the the law of the burnt offering was total consecration to God. This this meat offering that's the offering of the fruit of your labor. This is they had worked hard. They had produced this grain. God had blessed them with rain and allowed it to grow. But through the works of their hands, they had, they had harvested this, this grain, this, and they had made it into flour, and now they're giving that back to God. Well, isn't that just what Cain did? Yeah. Well, then, why is this accepted and Cain's offering wasn't accepted? Because Cain tried to do it without the bloody offering of the burnt offering. You see, what you do for the Lord, what you offer to Him in works, is worthless until you come to Him through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Amen? But once you're born again, then your labor, what you do for God, and you give that to Him, that's a sweet smell to Him. You know what that is? That's voluntary. It's not obligatory. It's voluntary. You just, you just bring it to Him. You can give it to Him. When we take our offering, that's giving back to God the, the fruit of your labor. But man, if you're a millionaire and you give a million dollars this morning, we'll still take it. But that's not going to get you to heaven. That's not going to buy you favor with God. God will reject that to your benefit. He will reject that until you come to Him through the cross. Through the, through the offering of the Lamb. All right? Um, and it does say all that also this. No leaven. Remember what leaven is. Leaven is sin and false doctrine. Sin and false doctrine. So it doesn't matter how much labor you do for God. If you're living a sinful life or if you're steeped in false doctrine, that's not acceptable to God. That's not acceptable to him. How many of you know people that, that really work hard for the Lord, but everything they believe is wrong? Yeah, that's not acceptable to God. It's not. It does matter what you believe, and it does matter how you live. Now remember, let's step back, not for salvation. This is from the perspective of the saved person. That's how we're looking at this text. All right, the third, the third, the law of the sin offering. How many of you think this is a weird Thanksgiving message? 
right? Let, let's keep going. The law of the sin offering. Look at verse 24. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and to his sons, saying, This is the law of the sin offering. In the place where the burnt offering is killed, shall the sin offering be killed before the Lord. Look at what it says. It is most holy. The priest that offereth it for sin shall eat it. In the holy place shall it be eaten. In the court of the tabernacle of the congregation. Whatsoever shall touch the flesh thereof shall be holy. Now, let's, let's look at this. What is this? What is this sin offering? Well, remember, we're looking at this from the perspective of the believer. Another day, we'll go back and look at it from the perspective of God to us. But from the perspective of the believer, this is how we deal with our sin nature. How many of you here have a sin nature? Would you raise your hand? So this might be important for you. This is very important for me. This is how we deal with our sin nature. This is one of the non-sweet-smelling offerings, along with the trespassing offering, because sin is not pleasing to God. This is an obligatory offering. So this has to be made. This sacrifice has to be made. Why? Don't ever miss this. Your sin must be dealt with. It must be dealt with. You say, wait a minute, I'm saved. My sin has been dealt with. Then what's 1 John 1, 9 about? If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Who is that written to? These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you may know that you have everlasting life and that you may believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's written to believers. See, we as believers, we must understand that we are still sinners. Even though we stand before God righteous and, and we're saved, we're not going to be condemned. We must understand, we must understand that we're still sinners and our, the sin in our lives must be dealt with. Why? So that we can keep that fire going. So that we can keep serving Him. So that we can stay consecrated because sin will kill you too. Not eternally, but it'll ruin your life. Um, I want you to see something that's interesting here. Look at verse 27, the cleansing power of the blood. Whatsoever shall touch the flesh thereof shall be holy. And when there is sprinkled of the blood thereof upon any garment, thou shalt wash that whereupon it was sprinkled in the holy place. There's just cleansing. Anything that this sacrifice touches is made holy. You know, the Bible tells you, be ye holy. And, as God, and God says, as I am holy. You're supposed to be holy. How are you holy? We are positionally holy because we're saved. We stand before Jesus Christ, before God the Father, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Holy. Is that right? Man, that's such a wonderful thing. But practically speaking, I'm a sinner, and my practical holiness comes as I confess my sin and as I'm cleansed from that sin day by day, moment by moment. Isn't that right? And isn't it wonderful? Whenever you, you bring this sacrifice to the Lord, that sacrifice touches you, you're holy. You're, uh, don't raise your hand here. But how many of you, it's hard for you to think of yourself as holy? It, it's the way I feel. But the simple fact is, He makes us holy as we yield ourselves to Him and as we bring our sin before Him. The sin offering. It's a beautiful thing. I want you to see something else. This is pretty interesting. Look at verse 29. But the earthen vessel wherein it is sodden shall be broken. And if it be sodden in a brazen pot, it shall be both scoured and rinsed in water. Well, what in the world could that have to do with us? What, what are these earthen vessels? So if this, if this sacrifice is made in an earthen vessel... 
then it's going to be broken. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 that we have this gift in earthen vessels. What's the earthen vessel? It's you. It's you. And I want you to see the contrast. There are two vessels. And remember, we're looking at this from the perspective of the saved person. Is that right? There are two vessels. When the sin offering is made and the blood comes into two different vessels, one is an earthen vessel that's broken. When you bring your sin before the Lord, when you confess your sin to Him and you come in brokenness, then, then He lifts you up and you're blessed. You know, you know what the brass always is in the Bible? It's judgment. If you want to be hard and refuse brokenness, you know what's going to happen? God is going to scour you and cleanse you and bring judgment into your life until you're broken. How many of you have ever... Seriously, this will help the young people. How many of you have experienced that? I have. Anyone here ever experienced that where God comes and brings that? Now, when we talk about the judgment of God, it's not the judgment of eternity. It's the judgment of our sin in this life that we bear in our body. It's the chastisement is the word the New Testament uses for us. Oh, man. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now, but now I keep thy precepts. That's what the Bible says. So now this is a wonderful picture. A wonderful picture. You have the burnt offering, total consecration to God. You have the meat offering. That's where we bring our labor to the Lord. Now the sin offering. This is dealing with my sin nature. Then I want you to see something else. Look at... Um, Let's see. You know what? Let's just move on from that for now. Um, look with me at the next offering. That's verse chapter 7, verse 1. Likewise, now, now likewise, what's that doing? That's tying us back to the sin offering. Likewise is the law of the trespass offering. It is most holy. In the place where they kill the burnt offering, shall they kill the trespass offering, and the blood thereof shall he sprinkle round about upon the altar. Now, what it, this gets into specific parts of the sacrifice and all of this. So here's what's going on. The sin offering is me coming to the Lord and acknowledging my sin nature. It's teaching me how to deal with my sin nature. The trespass offering is teaching me how to deal with specific sin in my life specific sin. Now, again, don't raise your hand on this, but how many of you, as soon as I say that, immediately something pops into your mind? Specific things that you're dealing with. This is, remember, Jesus Christ took care of all this. From God's perspective, Jesus took care of it. Isn't that wonderful? That's the good news. This isn't a guilt thing today. That's all cared for by God. From our perspective, though, we have specific sins that we struggle with, that we deal with, and this trespass offering is where we bring those specific sins. Again, this is a non-sweet savor offering. This is an obligatory. It's required. Thanks, Wade. This is a required offering. Um, look at verse 2. I want you to see this. In the place where they kill the burnt offering, shall they 
kill the trespass offering, and the blood thereof shall he sprinkle round about upon the altar. It's interesting. How many of you think back about, oh, 20 minutes ago to the songs that we were singing? What can wash away my sin? There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. You know, we have a bloody faith. Now, again, uh, several years ago, the Methodist hymnal took out the, the songs on the blood because they were too gory and people weren't happy with them. Um, and that's where we are. Rarely do you hear about the blood of Jesus Christ anymore. You hear about having a relationship with Jesus. You hear about how Jesus loves you, right? But you don't read about the blood. I want you to think about this. Now, we have five offerings. Only one of them is bloodless. There is blood spilled for every one of these sacrifices. And now this one, he's taking the blood and throwing it around the altar. Can you imagine how much blood there was after one of these things? Why? Sin requires blood. We must understand that. Every time we go to the Lord, every time we go to the Lord, as a believer, and I give myself to Him through that burnt offering, and I consecrate myself to Him, there's blood there. The labor, there's no blood. The sin offering, every time I take my, my sin nature to Him and I say, Lord, you know who I am, there's blood there. Every time that I go to the Lord with a trespass offering, there's blood there. Now, let's be careful. It's not being shed anew. How many times did Jesus Christ have to die? One time. This had to happen every day. Every day this blood had to be shed. And the problem was there was still remembrance of sin. That's what the book of Hebrews says. Ah, when Jesus Christ shed his blood, there is now, that, there is now no more remembrance of sin. We're cleansed from our sin. Isn't that wonderful? But the only way that we have access to the throne to give our offerings back to God is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Don't, don't miss that. All right? So now, let's go on. Now we're to the sermon. Amen? And you'll see why. Look at Leviticus chapter 7, verse 11. And this is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings which he shall offer unto the Lord. Now, look up here at me before we read on. The peace offering, this, this peace offering is reconciliation. From God's perspective, we, were, we have peace with him now because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. From our perspective, I can actually come to the throne of God. Remember what the Bible says, Hebrews again. You can't miss the connection. Hebrews again. Seeing, therefore, we have this high priest, right? The Bible says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace. Right? So we have access. The only way we can come to the throne of grace is because we are at peace with God. We're no longer at war with God. So what's another word for peace? Reconciliation. This peace offering teaches us of our reconciliation to God. Now, read on with me. Look at verse 12. Look, verse 11 again. And this is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings, which he shall offer unto the Lord. If he offer it for a, what? Thanksgiving. 
Then he shall offer with the sacrifice of thanksgiving unleavened bread, cakes mingled with oil, and unleavened wafers anointed with oil, and cakes mingled with oil of fine flour fried. Besides the cakes, he shall offer for his offering, isn't this interesting? Leavened bread with the sacrifice of thanksgiving of his peace offerings. And of it he shall offer one out of the whole oblation for an heave offering unto the Lord. And it shall be the priests that sprinkleth the blood of the peace offerings. And the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving shall be eaten the same day that it is offered. He shall not leave any of it until the morning. Now, this is so interesting to me. When you get to the peace offering, what is the word that the Bible describes for the way that we bring the peace offering? Thanksgiving. And now we understand that because what Jesus Christ did for us through the burnt offering and the meat offering and the, the sin offering and the trespass offering, now we have peace with Him. So now from our perspective... When we come to Him, how should we come to Him? With thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Does anybody here that you're thankful that your sins have been washed away? Even though you're a sinner, you can still come to the throne of grace. You, you have peace with God. And this is a great truth, guys. God's not mad at you. He's not angry with you. He's at peace with you. And because of that, we come to him and we offer him thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. There's another thing that I want you to see and you might want to write this in the margin of your Bible. Peace equals thanksgiving. Peace equals thanksgiving. When you've experienced the peace of God, you'll be thankful. When you genuinely revel. Now, remember where it has to start. You have to be consecrated. You have to give yourself completely to Him. Then you're working for Him. Then you acknowledge your sin nature. Then you acknowledge your, your, your sin. You acknowledge your specific sins in the trespass offering. And then you realize your peace. You have that peace. And what does that peace bring out in you? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Now, I've got to tell you this. One thing that's really important for you to get is thanksgiving is not a feeling, it's a command. Thanksgiving is not something that I feel, it's, it's something that I offer to God in obedience. You're commanded to be thankful. Our verse that we have up here, in everything give thanks. You mean I'm supposed to be thankful for that? No. You're supposed to be thankful in that. What, have you, what are you going through? What are you going through? Chad, I can't help it. I was just thinking, this just hit me. Chad's septic tank collapsed or whatever this week. Horrible. Nightmare. I, can you imagine if I, if, I, if I said to Chad, well, were you thankful when that happened? <laughs> now, see, he's bigger than me, so I probably would stand back quite a ways when I said that. Because I can tell you this. My first reaction when that happened would not be, Thank you, Lord. This is awesome. You're going to teach me something. No. No. How many of you had something happen this week that would have been very difficult to thank God for? Yeah. 
But do you have peace with God? Do you have peace with God? Then you can be thankful. Then you can be thankful. Um, this is reconciliation. The peace offering is a reminder of our reconciliation. And here's where this becomes very personal for everyone here. I'm sure that in a room this size with this many people in it, there is someone here and you're mad at somebody. You're bitter at someone. And you're harboring that anger and bitterness. Now, how many of you think that harboring anger and bitterness results in peace? I made some notes on this. When you have a problem in personal relationships, it is almost always rooted in selfishness and self-centeredness. Now, for a mad person, for a bitter person, that is not received well. How many of you, when you're mad and somebody says, it's your fault, how many of you that helps you? <laughs> right? But the simple fact is, if Laura and I are having a problem, and I get my feelings hurt because she's so mean. I get my feelings hurt. Whose problem is that? It's my problem. It's my problem. The opposite of selfishness is thanksgiving. This offering is with thanksgiving. The focus here is to be turned from inward with the sin offering and the trespass offering. That's inward, isn't it? To outward. To outward. And that's thanksgiving. And that's where that peace comes. You can never really reconcile with someone until you learn to be thankful to God. Did you hear what I said? You can never really reconcile with someone else until you learn to be thankful to God. If you're offended, how many of you ever said this? That person offended me. I am offended by that. Keep your place on Leviticus, but go to Psalm 119. Now, let me say this. There are things that people can do to you that, from a human perspective, you could never forgive. And yet, the Bible still commands you to forgive, doesn't it? And I always have to say this here. Forgiving is not an acknowledgement or for, saying I forgive you is not saying that what you did was okay. Amen? What it's saying is, God has commanded me to do this. I'm not going to hold this over your head anymore, and I'm not going to allow this to control my life. That's what forgiveness is. That doesn't mean that you have to put yourself back in the situation. Uh, Think of it this way. If a man is beating his wife, she's supposed to forgive him. But she needs to get out of that house. Right? But she's still supposed to forgive him. So sometimes when we get into this area of forgiveness, people get it, it can be confusing. It's confusing to all of us, isn't it? But forgiveness is a command, and the, the, the only way that you can forgive is to accept the peace of God and to live in the thankfulness of God. Look at Psalm 119, verse 165. 
Tell me if you think this ties in with anything that we're saying right now. Psalm 119, 165. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Where's the peace come from? From loving God's law. What have we just learned from God's law? About the peace offering. <laughs> about thanksgiving. And about being thankful and understanding what God has done for us. If you're offended, you do not love God's law. Offended people stay offended because they focus on the hurt. They're not thankful in all things. They're selfish. The bitterness will continue until it's replaced with thanksgiving. I'm just going to tell you. And this is going to sound strange to you, and it sounds strange even to say it, and I don't want to say it in a trite way. I'm not using this just as a cool illustration to get your attention. I'm thankful that God gave us Riley, our son who died. Um, when, we, when he was born, he had, he had trisomy 13. It's an extra 13th chromosome. It's a genetic malady. And um, so we had to go to a genetic counselor. And the first thing the genetic counselor said to us was this. Riley was a mistake. Can you imagine? He said, no, he, no, he's not. He's not a mistake. God knew exactly who Riley was when he was alive and who he is with him now. Amen. But I learned so much through that experience with Riley. Now, when I was in it, I wasn't praising God. All I could do is bury my face in a pillow and just say, oh, God, that's all I could say. I had no idea how to even pray. But now, but now, that was a great gift for me and for Laura because now we know better how to love you when you go through things like that. Uh, was it good that Riley was sick and died? No. No. Has there been good from it? Changed my life. It made me a different person because I'm kind of a jerk. I, I, I think I've, I haven't said this in a long time. I had a friend who had twins, and one of the twins died. And I said this; they, they were just a, a couple of days old. And I said, I said something like, "Well, at least you didn't have them uh, have them so long that you were really attached." I said something like that. Now, how many of you think that was really dumb? Yeah, well, that, that was me. Insensitive. That's who I was. I'd had a hard childhood. We moved a lot. Awful. And that's the person that I, I became. Hard-hearted. Riley taught me how to hurt for people. Was it good that Riley died? No. Did God bring good from it? Wouldn't it be horrible to waste it? Can you imagine just wasting that pain? God's brought pain into your life. It's interesting. You're either going to be a broken vessel or you're going to be a chastised vessel. That's it. It's been, I've heard this said many times, and I know that you have too. Whoever God uses greatly, He hurts deeply. Why? Why? Because we must be broken. When you understand the peace that you have with God, 
and you understand how He's working in your life, that thankfulness comes, that joy comes, and you're able to forgive. If there's someone in your life that you have not forgiven right now, if there's someone in your life, there's something in your life right now, and you're holding on to that bitterness, and you're focusing on the pain, do you know what the answer for that is? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Like we said earlier, thanksgiving is not a matter of feeling. It is a matter of obedience. Give thanks in all things. Have you allowed yourself to become a bitter person? You know what the real reason for that is? When we don't want to admit it, the real reason is we're mad at God. We're mad at God. Now, I'm going to say this as kindly as I can which obviously you know I'm not good at. Um, God does not owe us anything. But the simple fact is, you ready for this? He is only kind to us, to His children. He's only kind. So when you're mad at God, God, how could you allow this to happen to me. God's got a purpose for your life. You're living in a fallen world, and because you live in a fallen world that's full of hurt and full of pain and full of sin, you are going to be touched by that. But God wants to strengthen you in it. He wants to make you thankful in it. He wants to give you peace in it. Why? Because He loves you. He loves you. You'll never be, be what God wants you to be until you get that right. Sin in your life becomes written on your face. Isn't that true? You ever seen someone that lived a hard life? It's written in their face. You see an angry person and they just have a scowl written in their face. I, I had someone tell me um, years ago, uh, someone maybe last year, who told me what they thought of me when they knew me in Bible college, the legalistic school that I went to or had so much trouble. They said, you just looked mad all the time. I was mad all the time. I was a critic. I was bitter. I wasn't emotionally prepared for the trouble that I, that I faced. Can you imagine being remembered for that? It, and they asked me, what, what did God do in your life to bring you to where you are now? I didn't tell him. God brought Riley into my life to bring me to where I am now. Now, there's joy after that. We have Lydia, we have Jacob, we have you guys, all your kids. I have my other son, Nathan. <laughs> How many of you missed them this morning? It's not the same here without Nathan and Shauna. Tom was helping me get things started, and I said, you got to help me. I don't remember what I'm supposed to do. Nathan does all this. I don't have any idea how to start the service. I don't know. Um, but God has brought such joy into our lives and peace into our lives. But when we're going through that dark time, if we focused on that, we'd be ruined. We'd be ruined. You can be thankful in the trouble. You can be thankful. Once God allows you to see the truth of it. Okay, let's finish this. Look at back to Leviticus chapter 7. 
course, you know, many times you have the oil mentioned here, and that's the Holy Spirit in it and on it and all through it, and that's how we give thanks is through the Holy Spirit of God. But then verse 13, look at this. Besides the cakes, he shall offer for his offering leavened bread with the sacrifice of thanksgiving of his peace offering. Leaven. Leaven. Now, when we talk about sacrifices, how many of you only think of unleavened bread? Seriously, how many of you? That's me too. This surprised me when I started studying this out. Why would God tell him to bring leavened bread? Because leaven in the Bible is always sin and false doctrine. Why would I be bringing the leaven? Because this is about reconciliation. And the only way that you can have reconciliation is to confess your faults, to confess your sin. Keep your place here. Go to 1 John. Look at chapter 1, verse 8. Remember again, this is from the perspective of the believer, not the lost person. 1 John 1, look at verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. So here's what we're doing. When we come to Him with thanksgiving, this peace offering, we've looked at ourselves, we understand our sin. Now we come to the Lord and we say, Lord, I'm a sinner. And you still love me. Thank you. Thank you. See, the pride of thinking that you're okay will always keep you from having the right relationship with God. Because even when you've confessed every sin that you can think of, do you know what the, the problem is? You're still a sinner. There's still sin that you don't know of. Uh, go with me to Psalm 139. I love this passage. There's so much truth in this. Psalm 139. This is what is a part of that peace offering. The leavened bread that you're offering Him. Verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. You see that? When you're giving your heart to the Lord, what are you giving Him? What does Jeremiah say? The heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? When you're giving God your heart... When you're, you're opening your heart to Him and you're saying, Lord, thank you for what you've done. Please search me. Here, here's my heart. You're giving Him something leavened. You're giving Him something that's sinful. Is that right? Well, look what it says. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. See, that's a part of thanksgiving. See, when you come to God that way, you leave thankful, don't you? You leave with peace. You leave with peace. Um, I want you to see this too. Look at verse 14. This is pretty interesting to me. And of it, he shall offer one out of the whole oblation for an heave offering unto the Lord. A heave offering. What is that? A heave offering. Here it is. I'm going to bring this leavened bread God, that's a good shot. That's what they would do. They'd take that 
and they'd throw it on him on the altar. Take that leavened bread and throw it. You know what we're supposed to do? Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. That's the first time some of you have been awake all day. Look, this is so important for us. When we come to him, we take our sinful heart. Even as a believer, we're still sinners. Is that right? Saved, for sure. Not going to lose your salvation. Saved, for sure. And you take that and you just throw it on him. And that burdens off you. And you can't help but say, thank you. Peace and thankfulness. Same thing. They go hand in hand. Um, Then, I want you to see this. Look at verse 15. This is pretty interesting. And the flesh of the sacrifice of of his peace offerings for thanksgiving shall be eaten the same day that it is offered. He shall not leave any of it until the morning. There's there's immediacy here. Do you see that? It has to be eaten right away. Um, This, when you start seeing this eating, we could take the time, and maybe we will someday, to look at all these sacrifices as they're eaten and we can understand how the Lord Jesus Christ tied that in with the Lord's Supper. With the Lord's Supper. So let's, let's try to get an understanding of this, and then we'll be done. The, the first thing that we need to understand about the Lord's Supper is we're celebrating, we're remembering reconciliation with God. Right? Uh, it's called communion with God. Uh, how are we able to commune with God? Only because He saved us. Only because of His sacrifice. So the first thing as we come to the Lord at the Lord's table is we're celebrating that reconciliation that happened because of His death, burial, and resurrection. And then, in in the, the New Testament, when the Lord's Supper is taught to us, it's taught about we have the Lord's Supper when we come together as the church. That's the purpose of it. We come together as the church, as a called out assembly, And we remember the Lord together. Now, the focus isn't on each other. The focus is on Him. Is that right? But we do it together. We do it together. Now, I want you to see amazing parallels between this and the Lord's Supper. Read with me in verse 19. Um. And the flesh that toucheth any unclean thing shall not be eaten. It shall be burnt with fire. And as for the flesh, all that be clean shall eat thereof. Look at what it says. All that be clean. But the soul that eateth of the flesh of the sacrifice of peace offerings, that pertaineth unto the Lord, having his uncleanness upon him, even that soul shall be cut off from his people. Moreover, the soul that shall touch any unclean thing as the uncleanness of man or any unclean beast or any abominable unclean thing and eat of the flesh of the sacrifice of peace offerings which pertain unto the Lord, even that soul shall be cut off from his people. Now, remember, from God's perspective when we see that, when someone would come and and do this, if they weren't right with God, got to kill them. They'd be cut off from the people. All right. From the believing standpoint, for those who have who were trying to do right and come this way, what are we supposed to do? Well, what does the Bible tell us? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5.
Look at verse 1. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. And you are puffed up, and have not rather mourned, that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. All right, so here you have an obvious fornicator, adulterer. Everybody knows it. Still in the church. Right? Is that what's going on here? Look at what it says in verse 3. For verily, as absent in body but present in spirit, or, I'm sorry, for I verily, as absent in the body but present in the spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath done, that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together in my spirit with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So here's what they're supposed to do. Come together as a church and kick that guy out. He'll live in his sin. Satan will destroy his flesh because of that sin. But his soul is going to be saved. Isn't eternal security a wonderful thing? Right? Then look at what the Bible says. Verse 6. And again, an interpretive tool may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. What's the day of the Lord Jesus? The rapture. This guy's still going to go up in the rapture. All right, verse 6. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Again, you see the inter interlacing of Scripture. Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. What feast? The Lord's Supper. Not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote unto you in, epi in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters. For then must ye needs go out of the world. Now look at what it says. So what he's saying is, you're going to be in the world with these people. Be careful about who you keep company with. But now look at what it says. But now have I written unto you not to keep company if a man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such and one know not to eat. What are we supposed to do if someone's living in sin? Cut them off from the table. Cut them off from it. They can't be a part of it. That's what the Bible says. Tying it all the way back to Leviticus and the peace offering. Don't bring someone. You say, why should we do that? Isn't that mean? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, look what the Bible says. Is it mean? How many of you think obeying God is mean? It's amazing how many people have more mercy than God. Look at what the Bible says. Verse 23. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he, he brake it and said, Take ye, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also, he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament of my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. 
For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would not judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. So here, the perfect, perfectly clear instructions for the Lord's Supper. What we do is we make sure that only holy people come to the Lord's table. How do we do that? How do we do that? Well, they've got to be saved. And they have to have made testimony of that salvation through their baptism. They become a member of that body. And then if they are behaving wrongly, if they're living in open sin that we are aware of, we remove them from membership so they cannot eat with us. Why? We don't want them to die. That's what the Bible says. It's amazing how flippant things become in 21st century culture. See, this Bible is so clear on this. Let's go back to Leviticus 7. Let's wrap this up with some good news. Leviticus 7. Let's start reading in verse 15. And the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings, of his peace offerings for thanksgiving, shall be eaten the same day that it is offered. He shall not leave any of it until the morning. But if the sacrifice of his offering be a vow or a voluntary offering, so if, if you're coming to the Lord and you're, you're uh, making a vow to him, it shall be eaten the same day that he offereth his sacrifice, and on the morrow also the remainder of it shall be eaten. But the remainder of the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day shall be burnt with fire. And if any of the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering be eaten at all on the third day, it shall not be accepted, neither shall it be imputed unto him that offereth it. It shall be an abomination, and the soul that eateth of it shall bear his iniquity. Well, whenever you see the third day in your Bible, what's it talking about? Resurrection. The resurrection. See, the people in Leviticus didn't have any idea what that was talking about. But we know that Jesus Christ rose on the third day. We have peace with Him because of His death, burial, and resurrection. There's no longer any actual sacrifice necessary. Don't do that on the third day. Don't do it. Burn it away. It's not necessary. What are we reminded of as believers? Why do we make sacrifices to the Lord? Because of His death, burial, and resurrection. Because He loved us. Because He gave Himself for us. We consecrate ourselves completely to Him in the burnt offering. We bring the fruit of our labor to Him in the meat offering. We come to Him and we deal with our sin nature in the sin offering. And we deal with specific sin in the trespass offering. And then we come to Him and we cast our heart to Him. We heave it on Him. And we say, thank you for peace. Thank you. Remembering the resurrection. Isn't it wonderful? And we do this until He comes back to get us. 
I think maybe we understand Thanksgiving a little better now. Are you thankful? Are you reconciled to God? Is there someone that you're to be reconciled with? Is there bitterness or anger in your heart that you're holding towards someone? I want you to have the peace of God. I want you to have joy. I want that joy to be written on your face. I want the world to know that you love Jesus and Jesus loves you and you love your brothers and sisters in Christ and you even love the people that have hurt you. That can only happen when you bring that with the Holy Spirit anointing and you give it to Him and you say, 